podcast. This is Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, resident jank brewer and uh, all-around content creator for Magic the Gathering. And I'm joined today by Richard, owner of MTG Goldfish. How are you doing today, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? Ah, ready to talk some rivals of Ixalan. So, no Chaz today. Chaz has a super busy work schedule this semester, so he's going to be on hiatus for uh, the foreseeable future. So, uh, no Chaz, but we're going to continue on and uh, do some two-man podcasts as we figure things out moving forward. But we'll still be here every week talking all your Magic the Gathering stuff. So, Richard, the big news this week, coming off of our two-week break for the holidays, is we're right in the middle of Rivals of Ixalan spoiler season, which is apparently just one week, which means we're getting tons of cards each day. So, before we talk specific cards, how is your overall feeling on Rivals of Ixalan? Are you more hyped now that we've seen a bunch of cards, less hyped? How's your overall feeling? Uh, I don't know. Everything's coming in hot and fast. I'm still recovering from New Year. Happy New Year, everybody, and happy holidays. Uh, and we kind of just... New Year's Day, we got a ton of spoilers. Today, we got a ton of spoilers. We already have the two Planeswalkers. We see a ton of Tribal Synergy uh, cards, a lot of Lords. So it looks like this is the new Lorwyn, I guess. So, so far, it looks pretty promising. We might actually have tier one tribal standard decks so it's looking pretty promising and spoilers are coming in so fast i don't know maybe my opinion will change in the next four hours (laughs) who knows but it's pretty crazy everything's just so over the top to start off 2018 yeah, they are definitely pushing the tribes in a way that we didn't see in Ixalan proper. So I think that's pretty exciting. Of course, every time I see these cool cards, I still have the, well, is this good enough to compete with energy thing in the back of my head? But I'm really excited for it. I feel like this is, when we heard tribal and we heard Ixalan and we heard dinosaurs and pirates and merfolk and vampires, these are the cards that I was expecting. So we had to wait a little longer than I thought for Rivals of Ixalan, but this has all the sweet tribal stuff that I was expecting when I heard we're going to a tribal set. So anyway, uh, we have a ton of individual cards to talk about. So Richard, why don't you take it away? What are we starting off with as far as Rivals? All right, we are starting with the two Planeswalkers. So we we had the Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers earlier. That's just a little tease. But now we have the proper expansion set Planeswalkers. Huatli, Radiant Champion. Yes, we have another Huatli. Two green and a white. Legendary Planeswalker Huatli. Three starting loyalty. Plus one. Put a loyalty counter on Huatli. Radiant Champion for each creature you control. Minus one, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. Minus eight, you get an emblem with, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. I really like this Huatli. I think this is the better of the two Huatlis, and I might be falling into the trap of uh, liking a win more card, but this card seems super insane to me in the token decks. In the token decks, they get so many random one ones on the battlefield. It feels like you just play this and plus it one time, and then you emblem it and you just draw so many cards. So I don't know, maybe the fact that it doesn't do anything if you don't have a bunch of creatures on the battlefield will end up being a problem. But the token decks already splash green for Veraska, so it seems really easy to just play a couple Hawatli and make your token deck even crazier. Yeah, I I really like this card. I think it'll be played in Standard, and I think it'll be played in EDH. It 
it is kind of Winmore, but it's like Winmore in the sense of like overrun is Winmore. Like, if you have no board, it does nothing. But if you have a board, it, it's a pretty sizable advantage. And you don't need much to get Huatli going. Like, just two creatures, I think, is good enough. And if you're a token deck, you can get much more. And just her minus one gives plus X plus X, which could be a huge deal. Uh, you can imagine getting plus five plus five or plus seven plus seven or something. Uh, so I, I really like this in the go wide token decks. I think she'll be played in standard and EDH auto include in any token decks that actually play her colors, uh, which is pretty much all of them because doubling season. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like Hotly. I, I think really strong but like balanced right you you have the deck building restrictions you you can't just slam her in every single deck but the deck she does fit in i think she'll be really strong yeah i really like the negative one as a way for tokens to close out the game a little quicker i've definitely played most of the token decks in standard and uh, occasionally they end with me timing out and just having this huge board and not really progressing it but the fact that you could just make a bunch of one ones and then use Hwatli to uh, maybe make an angel of sanctions or something into this huge like one shot threat or there's temet vizier of nakamon which doesn't currently see play in tokens build but it makes a token unblockable until undeterred so we could see that show up possibly to go along with it but if you can get an evasive threat and a bunch of random one ones this lets you close out the game a lot quicker and it makes it so you don't have to grind for like an hour to actually win a game with your token deck so i really like that potential too yeah and let's not forget heart of kiran uh when you have tons of loyalty (laughs) with nothing to do you can always crew heart of kiran so i I really like Hwatli. you can Uh, plus on the heart of kiran yep oh Oh, or negative that, on the heart good too. Yeah, negative on the heart. All right, uh, that's Watley. Uh, now we have Angrath, formerly Pirate Minotaur, but now the <laughs> the Flame Chained. Three black, red, four starting loyalty. Plus one, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. Minus three, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste until end of turn. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. If its converted mana cost is 3 or less, minus 8, each opponent loses life equal to the number of cards in his or her graveyard. I'm actually not convinced this is better than the Planeswalker deck Planeswalker. (laughs) (laughs) I... I guess I could see this, I could see scenarios where it's good. If it's like the top end of your aggro deck and you're getting in some uh, evasive damage with the life loss, which it's important, to, or your opponent doesn't need to discard. It's not a Megram. Like you deal that two damage no matter what, and then you can like threaten a creature maybe to get in more damage. But this doesn't really jump off the page as me, uh, for me as like a really powerful planeswalker. Yeah, even if that minus three was just straight up kill a creature, I don't think it's good enough. It's It looks kind of like Lily uh, of the Veil, but it's five mana, it's two colors, and it looks like it wants to be aggressive, but it's not aggressive enough. If you're playing kind of like a Rakdos or let's say mono red type deck, you kind of want your five mana card to deal hasty damage to kill someone. Because if you're playing a control deck, uh, say they have no creatures, you play this and then nothing happens it doesn't really deal any damage you'd rather kind of play a hasty dragon or hazaret or something so i don't really know what anger does and even in edh where his plus one 
you know, gives you tons of card advantage, you're making your opponents discard three cards in total, uh, still really does nothing. It just annoys everyone and gets you killed. <laughs> so I don't... I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem that good. It's a little disappointed for the debut of our, our Minotaur Planeswalker here. And I'm not even sure what you're working towards with the ultimate. Like, the ultimate is so matchup and situation dependent. Like, sometimes, sure, your opponent's going to be playing God Pharaoh's Gift and have 20 cards in their graveyard and you win. But other times, like, someone's going to have played a graveyard hate spell or they're going to be playing uh, some random deck that doesn't get many cards in their graveyard. And then it's not really even doing much. So you don't even get much of a payoff if you manage to plus it four turns in a row <laughs> and get to the ultimate. So I don't know what Angrath is doing. I just don't understand where it fits in standard or like you said in commander either uh you plus it four times in a row that guarantees four cards in the graveyard <laughs> then you minus eight to deal four damage <laughs> yeah, you uh, got you know, just one one relic of progenitus like undoes like all of your hard work so yeah i don't know what this ultimate is either it it seems strange it, it should have been like an emblem where at the beginning of their upkeep they lose life equal to the number of cards or something where like you can ultimate and then eventually when they fill their graveyard they'll die so so yeah yeah bad, bad minotaur uh this was the reason he wasn't on theros it was like not good enough for minotaur on theros and uh he's here on Ixlada, not not good enough either is it, do you think he's bad because he's chained? Is that the like the flavor of it? He used oh. to be this powerful pirate, and now he's chained up and not very good. So we need we need the unchained version. Yeah, um, we need unchained Angrath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! Can you? If only you could chain to the rocks, Angrath, <laughs> the flame chained. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's move on to some tribal cards. So we. We got a spoilers for a lot of cards, and we've kind of bucketed them into their respective tribes, so we'll start with Pirates. Uh, Mythic Rare. Time Stream Navigator, one in a blue. It's a 1-1. Creature, Human, Pirate, Wizard. Uh, has Ascend, uh, so if you control 10 or more permanents, you get the City's Blessing for the rest of the game. 2, blue, blue, tap. Put uh, Time Stream Navigator on the bottom of its owner's library. Take an extra turn after this one. Activate this only if you have the City's Blessing. I love Time Warps, and I really want to like this card. And I think it can do like some fun, janky things. But the fact that you need 10 permanents really makes it a very late game card, and it's not very good just on turn two, so I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure that this is playable. I really want it to be, but I don't know if it actually is. Yeah, it's interesting that you can put it back on the bottom of your deck so you can reuse it. Most time walk cards exile themselves so you can't go infinite you know, with shenanigans. So that's interesting. Uh, but it is six total mana uh, over two turns, or one turn if you have haste, and you need Ascend, which typically blue decks don't have. Uh, time Walk decks just play spells and kind of go off. So it's it's strange, and it doesn't really block well either. So I don't... I'm not really feeling this card, and I, I really can't see how it can be abused. It really looks like it's quote-unquote fixed, and so fixed that I don't really want to play it. At first, I was, like, excited for Collected Company, but then the more I thought about it and talked about it with people, I don't know if any Collected Company decks will regularly be able to get the City's Blessing and have 10 permanents, which is kind of a big issue. I will say, though, one thing I do like about it is in Commander, there's Grenzo Dungeon Warden, which is this Rakdos-colored 
goblin that lets you pay two and put the bottom card of your library in your graveyard. But if it's a creature with power less than Grenzo's power, it goes onto the battlefield. So in theory, if you have like a lightning greaves and you're playing Grenzo, you can just keep activating this and then putting it back into play with Grenzo, activate it again and take infinite turns. So I think that that's a, a potentially cool combo for commander at least. Uh, but you need to ascend first, which is going to be yeah. hard in the Grenzo deck. <laughs> but uh, it is a human pirate wizard. I, I don't know if there's any shenanigans you can do there, but it, it does have a lot of types on it. The art is cool. I like the art. The art is cool. It's a masterpiece. It looks so much like a, a masterpiece <laughs> from Kaladesh. <laughs> All right. I, I think the next card is the best pirate card we've seen. Daring Buccaneer, a single red mana, 2-2. Two, two, Human Pirate, as an additional cost to cast Daring Buccaneer, reveal a pirate from your hand, or pay two. This card's really good. This card's very good. I think I really like that they managed to put print a really good red two drop, but print it in a way that doesn't obviously just make Ramen on Bread even better. Like, there's a cost for Ramen on Bread. If they want to be able to play Daring Buccaneer, you really got to have enough pirates to make it work. Just a few carries have isn't enough. And I think that's maybe, maybe we'll push aggro towards trying to be pirate because getting a two, two for one is a pretty good payoff. Yeah, I I really like it. I don't I don't know why red has a one mana two two, but I'll take it. It's kind of the Silvergill adept tax here. Uh, you got to reveal a pirate or two. It'll be even better if they give you weird tribal spells, which I don't think they're gonna do. But if you had like a pirate spell or a pirate land or something, it'd make it even better. But Ether Vial brings this in if you want to play pirates in modern or something, or you just cast it and reveal a pirate. Uh, I really like it. I think it's pretty balanced as far as uh, one mana two twos go in that you can't just jam it in a good stuff deck. You need to actually play pirates. So I like it. What do you think is needed to make aggro pirates a tier one standard deck? I think that aggro pirates actually has a lot of pieces. I think the biggest thing that they're missing right now, and they very well could get it because some of the other tribes have, is a a more competitively costed lord. I think that that's what Pirates is missing. They have good evasive threats. They have good disruption, like Kitesail Freebooter is very good for disruption. Uh, Lookout's Dispersal is a mana leak with upside if you're a pirate deck. So I feel like they got all the pieces to be like a tempo-y fairy deck, but they're just a little bit small, and they kind of get dwarfed by energy decks so i feel like maybe a lord to help them push through or maybe energy just gets banned and then all bets are off and i think aggro pirates probably has enough to be a real deck i just remembered captain's hook and it totally does not work with this (laughs) (laughs) if there was only a way to make generic cards in your hand pirates but captain hooks uh captain's hook needs to be equipped you you need to play our arcane adaptation and then everything <laughs> is a pirate. And <laughs> All right, moving on to vampires. We also have a mythic vampire. Elenda the Dusk Rose, two white and a black. Legendary creature, vampire knight, 1-1, one, one. lifelink. Whenever another creature dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on Elenda. When Elenda dies, create X, 1-1, one, one. white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Elenda's power. What do you think of this one, Richard? Do you think this can see play as just a threat in a vampire tribal deck? Uh, Probably not. Uh, So standard-wise, I think this card is pretty bad. 
where I'm excited to see this is Commander. And A, it's an Orzhov Commander. And the biggest complaint I see here is it's not Edgar Markov. <laughs> like, why would you play this over <laughs> Edgar Markov? It's pretty powerful, but uh, Edgar just gives you vampires for free. Uh, but this can get out of hand in Commander. Definitely in the 99, uh, you play it, some stuff dies, and then this dies and you have like a million tokens. I do like it as a Commander in the sense that you can just keep recasting it and sacking it to keep getting value. But I just think Edgar is like so strong, I don't know why you wouldn't play this. And you get access to white uh, to the red vampires with Edgar. So uh, maybe just some kind of token deck with Orzov not focusing on the vampire aspect could work as well. But I think this is a pretty exciting card for Commander. You have a lot of options and ability to uh, make strange decks with her. I think for me, as far as standard is concerned, it's really hard for me to picture this being good enough just as, oh, I'm playing Vampire Tribal, I'm going to play this as my four drop. What I'm really looking for, I think, is like a Blood Artist. I think the Vampire Tribe has a lot of the pieces to make like an aristocrat self-sacrifice style deck, and Alendra could be insane in that deck because you just play it, you sacrifice your board, get a bunch of Blood Artist triggers, then you sacrifice Alendra, and you get a token for all the stuff. It basically doubles up all your sacrifice fodder. So that's what I'm looking for, but we really need like a Zulaport Cutthroat, a Blood Artist, maybe one more good Sacrifice Outlet. We do have Yahani, which is pretty good, but it's not a very good payoff. It just sacrifices things. Bantu kind of does it, but it's a little too slow. So that's what I'm looking for, is some sort of Sacrifice payoff, and then I would be really excited to uh, play Alendra as like a combo piece in Vampire Aristocrats. So, so speaking of sacrifice, uh, what happens when you have an Alenda and a Blade of Selves in Commander? Oh. Uh, does this thing go nuts? Like, does it... Like, do they all die at the same time? Or, like, what happens when you legend rule this thing? Do you, do you get so these I, triggers? I actually don't know <laughs> how that works. I'm, I'm very curious now, but that seems like a cool interaction. <laughs> We're going to have to try it on Magic Online once it comes out. I know the other thing that's worth pointing out is the way it's formatted, you get a vampire for Alendra's power, not for the number of counters on it. So in theory, you can become immense this and sacrifice it and get seven tokens or whatever. Like it, it is worded differently than you would think it would be because it's not for the number of counters on it. So maybe there's some tricks there that you pump it in other ways, not just from creatures dying and then take advantage of making a ton of vampires that way. Oh, this is oh, this, this card is so exciting! I wish it was a cat. <laughs> I'm just thinking of this card with Aravo. Oh boy, <laughs> that would be sweet. Uh, yeah, I really like this card. And for standard, doubling aristocrats seems very good. So I would be very shocked if they made blood artist. Blood artist seems too good, but uh, they could just literally print blood artist and throw it in the set if they wanted. I think that card would be uh, perfect. Or what about uh, the four mana two two one from Innistrad? Uh, even that would be... Do you think that would be enough sort of to make a off. legitimate deck uh, in standard? <sighs> or is it too slow at 4 mana? I would definitely try it, but I think the fact that it would also be a 4-drop along with a Lendra would make it a little bit clunky, but I think it would still be worth trying. But I think if it was like a Blood Artist, 2-mana uh, or even 3-mana, then I would be really excited about Vampire Aristocrats. Alright, uh, let's move on to Merfolk. I'm most excited about the Fish Tribe here. Uh, they they seem really good, and a lot of these cards, I think, are modern playable. 
So let's start with our mythic Kumina Tyrant of Orazka. One green and a blue, two four legendary creature, Merfolk Shaman. Tap another untapped Merfolk you control. Kumina Tyrant of Orazka can't be blocked this turn. Tap three untapped Merfolk you control, draw a card. Tap five untapped Merfolk you control, put a plus one plus one counter on each Merfolk you control. I think this card is really good. It feels like it's like the Merfolk version of Cryptbreaker combined with <laughs> a weird Merfolk Lord. I I don't know what there is to not like. It dodges a lot of removal, having four toughness. You can't lightning strike it. So I feel like this card is very playable. I don't know about modern. Uh, maybe it's playable in blue-green Merfolk and modern, but... In standard, this seems like exactly what you want with Merfolk, which are pretty good at going wide, and people really underestimated Cryptbreaker at first. It took a long time for that to catch on, but I feel like now, since we saw how good Cryptbreaker was, people are going to be all about trying Kumana as a card advantage engine for Merfolk. Yeah, well, the difference is it's a bit slower than Cryptbreaker. Cryptbreaker was a one-mana one-one, so you didn't have much downside, but I still think installed board states just drawing cards randomly off your merfolk is really powerful so i think uh this will be a pretty strong card the the downside is uh kumana is legendary you can't just play a bunch of them uh so duplicates do get worse but drawing cards or just making kumana unblockable uh, is pretty good, especially when you couple it with other merfolk lords so you're actually dealing a lot more than two damage uh, per attack. And Merfolk are pretty good at going wide. There's Deep Root Waters, there's some other token producers, so it seems like getting five random 1-1 Merfolk on the battlefield isn't that much of a pipe dream in standard. So it, it kind of feels like win more, like, oh, I got five Merfolk, why do I need to put counters on them? But when you consider that a lot of Merfolk are pretty small, making 1-1 tokens and whatnot, it feels like the putting counters on everything ability could actually be pretty relevant too. Yeah, it helps you get through those stalled board states where your opponent has a big creature... You can't really attack through it. They can't attack you because they're on their back foot. So you just sit here and draw cards and pump your team until you can kill them. So I actually really like uh, that card for breaking stalled boards. Uh, so let's go through the other Merfolk cards. We I'm going to just list them off and we can talk about them together. So we have Merfolk Mistbinder, green and a blue, 2-2, two, two, other Merfolk you control get plus one, plus one. So basically a Simic Lord with no special abilities. Uh, we have Seafloor Oracle, 4 mana, 2-3. Whenever a Merfolk you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And we have Watery Ambush, 3 and a blue enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, create 2 Merfolk tokens with Hexproof. They're 1-1s. Uh, 3 and a blue target Merfolk can't be blocked this turn. So a bunch well. of Merfolk support cards. Watery Ambush is a e an easy one. That card's just stone unplayable, I'm pretty sure. Four, four <laughs> mana to get two 1-1s, one and then four more mana to make a single Merfolk unblockable. It seems like it could be good if you're drafting Merfolk, but as far as standard, it's not really interesting to me. I think 
C4 Oracle I'm really torn on. There's some big upside if it sits out there, but it's only a 2-3 for 4 mana, so it seems like it dies a lot. But the Uncommon Lord seems very, very good. I think that's another push towards Merfolk actually being a real tribe. You have a good 1-drop in Kumana Speaker, you get a 2-mana Lord you can play in turn 2, followed up with Kumana. It seems like there's a really strong Merfolk curve now with all these cards. Oh wait, I, f- I forgot. There's a Mono Green Merfolk, Jade Light Ranger, 1 Green Green, 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, explore, then explore again. <laughs> I like the, the two explore meme. <laughs> I wonder if Wizards did that intentionally. Uh, two <laughs> explorers. Uh, so I actually really like Seafloor Oracle. Uh, it's a good way to kind of like fastest bind it someone. <laughs> like you're on, you're on the attack. Uh, you don't want to commit much more to the board because you're afraid of a wrath. Uh, so you play Seafloor Oracle, draw two or three cards, it dies or whatever, and then you just replay your, your hand out. It reminds me of uh, Sig, River Cutthroat in Modern, where you kind of just don't go all out aggro. You know, this could have been a Lord, it could have been a Master of Waves, but instead you're going to take it slower and just draw more cards, draw more counter spells, draw more Merfolk, and try to try to lock up the game like that. So I actually think it's it's not that bad, especially if you combine it with, say, Kumina, who can uh, make himself, herself, I can't even tell, uh, unblockable, and then you just draw a card with Seafloor Oracle. So I actually kind of like Seafloor Oracle. Am I reading this correctly, that you would draw a card for each Merfolk that dealt damage? So if you get in damage with five Merfolk, you draw five? Is that how that is formatted. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about this. Is this the the fixed formatting? or So whenever a Merfolk you control deals combat damage. Yeah, I think it's whenever... So if you deal combat damage with five Merfolk, uh, you draw five cards, I believe. That's... I mean, that's a lot of potential card advantage. If you can... I guess that makes it better. It's not like you really need it to sit on the battlefield for a bunch of turns. If you can just play it and draw three or four or five cards... Even if it dies the next turn, I guess you still kind of got your value out of it. Yep. I wonder if uh, modern I like folk it. would so, try it. So how many of these do you think are modern playable? Uh, I'm going to say zero. Not even the Lord? Not even Miss Merfolk Mistbinder? <sighs> Merfolk has so many good lords in modern that I'm not sure just a vanilla lord at two mana is good enough. As weird as that sounds, because most tribes in modern would uh, give about anything to have a two mana lord like Merfolk Mistbinder, but Merfolk has Lord of Atlantis and Master of the Pearl Trident, which are both just better than Mistbinder because of Island Walk, and that's one of the main themes of the deck. So maybe it can be like, I don't know, Lords 13 through 16 or something, but how many Lords can you actually reasonably play? Like, you can't really cut Silvergill Adept. I guess you could maybe cut Curse Catcher. I don't know if that's why. So I'm just not sure where it fits. Harbinger of Tides? So maybe it could squeeze in. I guess you could also see uh, Humana is like a one of maybe the card advantage part could be nice if you get locked by ghostly prison or ensnaring bridge or in some board state like that. But Merfolk is pretty aggressive in modern. So I don't know if they want to just be tapping their stuff. They just want to be killing people before their opponent draws a sweeper. So I don't know. Am I underestimating these Richard? Do you think these have modern potential? Uh, I'm not sure. I think you bring up good points. Like what do you cut to add Merfolk Mistbinder to your deck? 
and maybe Mero Rejury. They're kind of some flex slots. Maybe you even cut the four drops. Maybe you cut Master Waves, and you just kind of go low to the ground. Uh, maybe you go Collected Company. I, I don't know. Green is an interesting color because it doesn't fix the downsides of the Merfolk deck. Like, you, you don't have removal. You don't have discard. So it really does nothing, really, right? It's just another color you add to make your mana base worse and gives you access to more Merfolk. Uh, so, so I don't know. Collected Company seems to be the biggest upside. I don't know what else you would do with this. Uh, but it's possible you just play mono bear deck. Everything is a two drop in your deck and you just go to town. <laughs> But I think you're right, it's it's hard to find the cards to cut for this, so it's not an obvious include since we have so many good lords, and Phantasmal Image is always an option that gives you a ton of flexibility as well. So there there's not too much space in the Merfolk deck to fight for, so, so it's an interesting uh, deck design choice. I think it's great for standard, though. So do you think this makes Merfolk a legitimate standard option? Like... Assuming the format looks like it does now and no BNR changes happen, does it make you feel like they can compete with the best decks in standard? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I mean, you have what is now a cohesive deck, which in a vacuum you look at and you're like, okay, this is actually a legitimate standard deck. But is energy too good? Can you can you beat Ramunap Red? Like, is there any point to playing this? I, I don't know. You're going to have to test it out a bit. But it seems like it has the pieces of a good tribal deck, but it's possible that the current standard decks are just way too hostile for this. I could see this deck performing well in other standards, so there, there are standards <laughs> in which this deck could be good. The question is, is it good in our standard right now? And I'm not sure. Yeah, I think... I think it's close enough that it's worth testing now. And I didn't feel like that before we got Rivals of Ixalan cards. I pretty much, I tried to build Merfolk decks and they just, I couldn't make them function. And I don't feel like that anymore. So I don't feel like you're just drawing dead going into it. So I think there's at least a chance, which that's exciting to me at least. Even if it ends up that energy is still the best deck and none of this works out, at least for right now, during spoiler season, there's a glimmer of hope that maybe this stuff will be good enough. Yeah, it depends on if they give us mana leak or not. <laughs> I think I think a, a strong counterspell could push Merfolk over the top. But right now, we don't have strong counterspells. So you're really just playing some weird Seth blue aggro deck. Which, <laughs> without the temple cards to back it up, I don't know if it's good. But we got Maybe Admiral's Order. If we get a Vapor Snag, it could be good. Admiral Order, Richard. That's that's the mana leak right there. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna we're we gonna save it. Admiral's Order. Actually, no, we can talk about Admiral's Orders right now. Uh, one blue blue Admiral's Order instant counter target spell raid. If you attacked with a creature this turn, you may pay blue rather than pay this spell's mana cost. <laughs> Is this a good counter spell, Seth? Can we use this for anything? We always joke that you just take cancel. Throw the set mechanic on it, and you have a new card. And here we are, raid counterspell. If you play it during your turn, after combat, or after declare attackers, it's a single blue mana. Otherwise, it's just cancel. So I think this is basically exactly cancel with upside if you're targeting Settle the Wreckage. That's all I really see in this card. Like, one mana counter Settle the Wreckage is nice, but I have a hard time imagining 
too many other scenarios where raid is that relevant. I guess you can, like, get in your attack and then use this to help win a counter war if for some reason you're fighting a counter war on your second main phase. But I think this is pretty close to standard. I think it's less upside than disallow, let's say, or something like that. Yeah, we 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 always get three mana counters or three mana cancels with upside, and this is barely an upside. So I I don't <laughs> I don't think this is playable. I think there will always be something better than this uh, to replace. Um, you know, scry to exiling like anything is better than this mana cost reduction. That's very situational because if they have removal. And they know this card is in the format. They'll just play it before attackers. So it has to be like a condemn, a settle the wreckage, like something that is tied directly in combat, which we don't have many of those playable cards because those two are very situational. So I, I don't see this being played. I've heard murmurings of infect, but blossoming defense does the same thing, but it's like a million <laughs> times better. <laughs> So I, I don't yeah, and- see why you would ever play this anywhere. It's just it it just hurts. And it's a rare for limited. I think it's a pretty decent card in limited where you actually play combat tricks and you know stuff actually happens. But in constructed, I, I don't I, I don't see this being used. And opening this as your rare will will kinda hurt. <laughs> Is raid the strangest mechanic ever to show up on a counter spell? It feels very weird to me, because it's such a attacking and restricted mechanic. It almost feels like the the sorcery speed counter spell that I've always wanted them to print as a troll, <laughs> just because I think it would be funny. It feels pretty close to that. But I mean it's always a cancel, I guess, so it's not really that, but man, I don't know. I can't really see many uses for this card either, uh, outside of the situation you mentioned so i guess if you want to cancel you might as well play this uh if you're choosing between cancel and admiral's orders why not but otherwise uh i don't see the appeal i'd rather okay okay if this was ascend and the cost was zero is it playable probably i mean the thing is cancel is close to being playable anyway because all we get is three mana counter spells these days so I have seen real decks playing cancel just because there's no better options. Right now there are, like Disallow is better, Lookout's Dispersal is better if you have any pirates in your deck, so there are better options right now, but if it was literally free with Ascend, I think there would be an argument for it. Although, counterspell decks are probably the worst decks for actually turning on Ascend and getting yep. the City's Blessing. Yep. Just like counterspell decks are pretty bad for attacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I wish it was Vapor Stag or something. <laughs> like, what is this? It's like a temple card that we don't really want. Give me, like, a better temple card, please. <laughs> and the art makes it seem like it's supposed to be a pirate card, uh, but they have Lookout's Dispersal, which is actually a legitly good counter if you're a pirate deck. Lookout's Dispersal is very strong. So I don't know why they would print a strictly worse, pretty much, uh, counter spell for the pirate deck, at rare no less, so it just, I don't know, all around I'm not a uh, fan. It pitches the force of will, uh, <laughs> if it was tribal pirate instant, <laughs> you could reveal it for your buccaneer, uh, yeah, I, I don't like, I don't like this card. I wish they have tribal instance, this, if this was like a pirate instant, it might actually have some purpose. That would be pretty sweet, you could reanimate it with Planeswalker deck Angrath. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our White Elder Dinosaur. 
Zetalpa Primal Dawn, 6 white white, a 4-8, flying, double strike, vigilance, trample, indestructible. <laughs> it's it's so bad. <laughs> it's I like it, and I think it's fun and flashy, and I think big dinosaurs like this are fun for Commander, but as far as standard, it just feels like it's going to die to cast out and Veraska's condemned and all the cards people play to beat the Scarab God and beat Hazorat. Like people already have to play those cards to deal with four and five mana things that are indestructible. So I feel like you just naturally pick up on tons of hate cards that are already in the format. I probably lose to it in limited sometimes because it does seem really hard to beat in limited. Although the format might be really fast because Ixalan is really fast. So I guess we'll have to see, but I don't know. I don't really see the appeal in this outside of just being a fun, flashy, casual card with tons of keywords. Uh, every time I look at the art, I think it's some guy screaming because he has a headache or something. I can't get that <laughs> picture out of my mind. Uh, this card would be good if it had haste and lifelink. I think it could actually have a legitimate shot of being played in standard with those. But without those, it's just a really slow blocker that doesn't really stabilize the board for you you can't gain back the life you lost and it does die to exile effects so not too exciting uh a little excited to try it with odric lunar uh marshall uh you get all these keywords on all your creatures that that has to be good <laughs> but Ooh. eight mana four eight is a little lacking i i, I it should at least have lifelink lifelink is a white ability it, it should get that to stabilize your board uh, probably too good at rare uh, for limited if it had lifelink. So, but life, I think lifelink is the key here. You you can't stabilize with this thing. They'll just go around it and kill you. So you, you need the lifelink or some kind of life gain to actually make up for all those turns you spent trying to cast your 8-mana 4-8. Or, yeah, or haste, like you mentioned. So then you could, like, a Chroma Angel of Wrath in for a huge chunk of surprise damage. But without lifelink, it can't really stabilize you if you're playing defensively. And without haste, it doesn't really close out the game if you're playing aggressively. So it's really hard to figure out where exactly it fits, what it's trying to do. Yeah. All right, last card. Uh, Tilanali's Summoner, one in a red, creature human, 1-1. One, one. Ascend. Every time Tilanali's Summoner's attacks, you may pay X in a red. If you do, create X 1-1 one, one elemental creature tokens tapped and attacking. Exile them at the beginning of the next un end step unless you have the city's blessing. I mean, it seems sweet. I think... I have a hard time evaluating it. It almost feels to me like a sorcery that makes a bunch of tokens that are tapped and attacking because it seems like most of the time your opponent's just going to block this, so you're going to get one activation. But if you have enough mana that you can make four or five or six tokens, it seems like it can be a reasonable mana sink. And then you make all those tokens, which likely gets you to 10 permanents, which gets you to City's Blessing, which keeps the tokens around. So while the body itself is really fragile, maybe there's a situation where it can be pretty game-winning, game-ending. Yeah, I, I like the inherent synergy here. When you make tokens, you get the Ascend, and then when you get the Ascend, you keep your tokens. The problem is it pretty much dies to anything in combat, so you're going to have to kind of play it and then do one gigantic attack. Uh, but as you're saving up for that, your opponent knows that, so they're saving up their removal uh, to remove this when the time is right. So, eh, 
I don't know. I think it has some uses. I, I kind of want to play with this in EDH. I think you can probably do some crazy stuff with it. Uh, with Battle Cry, with token, in, uh, token doublers, stuff like that. So it has potential there as some kind of weird combo piece or at least highly synergistic piece. Standard, eh, it's not even a pirate. It's not It's not any of the tribes that have tribal synergies. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that you would just play it as a value one drop, especially since it just makes elementals, which also doesn't have any synergies. But it is an interesting card. Yeah, I like it, but I just don't know where you actually play it anywhere. Like, I think it's a fine card, uh, but I just don't know where exactly it fits into any existing decks. Being off-tribe is really... Uh, really frustrating. Do you think, like, say this was the exact same card, but it was a pirate and made pirates, then would it be standard playable? Like, is the card itself playable if it had tribal synergies? I think, so. I think it'd be pretty strong, you know. In, if it was merfolk or pirates or something, it would be pretty strong. Uh, because, like, you can reveal it to daring buccaneer, you can make, you know, imagine making x one one tokens but they're not one ones they're actually two twos or three threes because you have lords on the battlefield then it just becomes ridiculous and it's not a one one when it attacks because you have lords it's a two two or three three you can actually survive combat and get multiple turns of value so if you actually have lords to support this i think it actually becomes really good yeah it makes sense so any uh, any other thoughts on Rivals of Ixalan, Richard? Is that the end of our cards we were going to talk about that today? That is the end of our cards. Two days worth of cards. <laughs> Seems like the whole set <laughs> is here already. Uh, I think we're missing some Elder Dinosaurs. Do we have them all? We have the black, uh, if the green, the white. So we're missing the blue and uh, the red ones. And... Two Planeswalkers is probably it for this set, right? No more Planeswalkers? I would assume that two would be the number. And it's interesting, no Gatewatch Planeswalkers. It feels like it's been a while since we've had a set with zero Gatewatch Planeswalkers. Oh, if you're not, this it'll is... be a surprise yeah. third Planeswalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Jace. Yeah, Jace is chained to Angrath. <laughs> Took all his abilities. <laughs> uh, but so far, it's pretty good. It seems like we're getting tribal standard, or at least they're trying to make that happen. So I would be unreasonably excited about this set and the potential of the tribes if every time I didn't start to get excited, I thought, oh, energy. Like, that's energy is just, like, dampening my mood to the whole thing. I'm still excited for it and excited to try it, but I'm afraid that once I try it, I'm going to find out that all the tribes are better, but still not good enough to compete with energy. That's my, that's my worry, I guess. Yeah, and we don't have a standard pro tour. So we have a modern pro tour coming up. So it's we're not going to get to see these in standard and high level play for a while. Uh, but maybe we get some Merfolk or maybe Hotly shows up. So it's another thing to look out for. Which of these are actually modern playable so that you'll actually see them at the pro tour. Uh, so moving on from Rivals of Ixalan, Wizards, who loves to spoil things at random time, uh, dumped on us some information about Dominaria, the next set that'll be coming up in a few months. So Richard, we found out not a whole lot, but we did see that Karn, uh, Teferi, and Joyra are apparently on Dominaria. So any takes on the little sliver of Dominaria information we I'm got? sold. I'm ordering a case <laughs> right now. <laughs> Uh, the key thing is we didn't see Jace or Liliana or Chandra, but we saw Karn, Teferi, and Joyra, and 
some ship in the back. I don't know what it is, the Predator, the Weatherlight, something. But it seems like it's a callback to the original Dominaria plotline. Uh, I guess these are the only people still alive from that era. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I'm excited. Uh, a little dampened. I think Mark Rosewater said later that the Gatewatch will still be there driving the story somehow. But I really hope Jay shows up and Deferi just like smacks him into the ground and says, I'm the blue plays walker. Get out of here. Uh, and who's not excited for another Karn? Uh, I'm excited to see Karn come back. So everything so far I love. Uh, hopefully there's some dwarves or something. Orcs <laughs> lurking around Dominaria as well. Uh, but this, this, is, this is a throwback to the people who've been playing Magic for a long time. Uh, these are the characters that uh, have been al- around for a while. So it's good to introduce them to a new generation of Magic players. Yeah, I'm really excited for it as well. It feels like this is what people were hoping for, like a nostalgic set with the original characters. It's not going to be Battle for Zendikar, what Battle for Zendikar was to Zendikar, where it feels like this totally weird place and nothing's familiar. It feels like they're really going to nail it with Dominaria. So just seeing these characters, these iconic characters, makes me feel even more comfortable that Wizards is really going to hit it out of the park with Dominaria. I think they realize how important this set is with the 25th anniversary, with so many old-time players having such a strong connection to it. So I'm really excited. I think it's going to be really, really, really good. Yeah, I hope they just do it right. I remember everyone was so excited for <laughs> Return to Zendikar. Uh, we know how that turned out. I, I really hope they make these iconic cards powerful. I really want to see Karn be the face of standard or Teferi be the face of standard and not, oh, we got a new Teferi card, unplayable, next, right? I, I hope they actually <laughs> become kind of the the pillars of standard. So, like, go Emrakul style. Oh, yeah, not, not too good that they're banned <laughs> and we never see them ever again. <laughs> but oh, what do you think Karn will be? I'm, I'm excited for a new Karn. Are we going to get a small Karn, like a card we can actually cast without using Tron? I'm expecting big, expensive, powerful. I'm expecting Karn to be not a reprint, but six, seven, eight mana, but super strong. I I can't expect it to be little, so like I a bolus or or a uh, Ugin. You're not expecting silver golem little Karn. <laughs> so my other, I guess my question is: Are Teferi and Joyra are they planeswalkers? I'm not as up on the lore. Okay, so they, so you think they will be planeswalkers? Don't cards, we have a commander of them? We do have do, right? the, the, the blue ramp to fairy. What's what's his actual name? Uh, Temporal Archmage, I think. Tem- something Temporal like that. Temporal Archmage. Yeah. What about Joyra? Is Joyra a planeswalker? Planeswalker. I don't think. But she's super but maybe powerful. she is now. I, I don't know the story. The story was like they're students of Urza, and then they got stuck in a time bubble or something, and then Karn sacrificed his spark or something to save. The multiverse and then he's got it back with Venser, uh something like that I, I don't really know the story we need like a rehash of it but i'm pretty sure teferi actually is a planeswalker because he was the most gifted student of urza so he's basically like mini urza and joyra was just stuck in a time bubble <laughs> so that's why she so hasn't died how- but i don't know that she's a planeswalker how do you think they feel about the urza card from the unset oh <laughs> Oh boy. Um, we need to I, ask I, I their opinion. There's a throwback to Urza somewhere in this set, and not Urza's head, but like <laughs> an actual. Maybe it'll Urza. be his body. 
Toby Urza's body <laughs> with no head. It's like a land or something. It's like uh, Merit Lodge. You just summon the ghost of Urza or something. <laughs> oh, Urza. I, I hope they give back some of our, our old creature types as well. Kind of the, you know, before we went into the new modern creature types, like kind of the old red dwarves around Dominaria, the orcs, kind of those type of creatures I hope they bring back as well. Maybe Sarah Angel gets an I've... update. And it's not Archangel Avison, but something else. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. I mean, I would be happy if this was just like uh, Time Spiral 2.0. I don't know if they'll actually do that, because I feel like they thought Time Spiral went too far with the nostalgia and wasn't accessible enough for new players, but I would love to see tons of nostalgic stuff. If they can figure out a way to do it where it's still accessible for people that aren't uh, in the game for 10 or 15 years, I think that would be great. Yep. Uh, so I think last topic before, we don't have that much fish mail this week, we wanted to quickly mention Iconic Masters. So Iconic Masters, Richard, I don't know if it's just a disaster or what's going on, but over the holidays, boxes were being sold for as low as $120, which, that's like the cost of a normal standard set, almost. I'm pretty sure cons of Tarkir boxes were $120, and so we're getting master sets for the normal price. What do you think is going on with Iconic Masters? Do they print too much? Is it a bad set? Is this Chronicles 2.0? What's your take on the Iconic Masters situation? Knowing nothing about the actual details of Iconic Masters, it just seems like they made too much with the hopes of selling it in Walmart and stuff like that, and it didn't pan out. Like I think the casual Magic player doesn't want to spend this much money. It doesn't matter how much the value of the cards are inside. They just don't want to spend that much money on packs of cardboard. So their test of how much Masters products can we pump out kind of failed. Like people just are not interested. And even at 120 now, now that it's low and it might actually be worth it based on the EV, people are wary, right? People are like, uh, I don't know if I trust this anymore. <laughs> so they're not even willing to bite. So... So I don't know. I think we, we just hit like master set overload. And I think we learned that casual players don't really want expensive packs. I, I think that's what happened here. But I actually haven't been following any news or any print run numbers or anything. So I don't actually know the real details. So I'll defer to you, and Seth. I, what, what is the actual, <laughs> what are the actual details here with Iconic Masters? Well, I mean, I think you are pretty much on the mark. I think they just printed too much of it. Also, I think it combines with the fact that it was showing up in stores right during uh, Unstable, which is kind of the casual set. And I think Unstable did a lot better than Wizards even predicted it would be and than I predicted it would do. So I think that Iconic Masters was overshadowed by that. And if you're a casual player at Walmart and you're choosing between uh, this crazy, fun, Unstable set and paying three times as much to get Iconic Masters, you're probably just going to buy Unstable or standard legal packs that were uh, $3.33 a pack instead of $10 a pack or whatever. So I think my bigger question is what happens long term? If this has a impact on what master sets look like moving forward, or if this was just like a freak storm, perfect storm of weird Hascon eating up the hype of it early before the set released with Unstable, with all this stuff going on. So I think that's my bigger question is, are we going to see 25th Masters in Walmart, or does this really change things? We know that Chronicles uh, had a huge impact. That is what created the reserve list and brought all that about. So I wonder if this experience with Iconic Masters, I think at this point, is just kind of viewed as a failure by a lot of the community. 
if this is going to change Wizards' uh, technique and tactics for Master Sets going forward. And I don't really know. I guess we got to wait and see. But I think it's an interesting question of what the long-term impact of Iconic Masters is. Yeah, and this just might be the realization of kind of the new model for cards. I remember when uh, we first started Goldfish, kind of the the finance advice was buy your staples, hold on to them, they'll go up. And so, you know, you're like, oh, what are the modern staples? Let me buy all the modern staples, even though I'm not playing any of these decks. Uh, it's shifted recently to don't hold anything. Everything will get reprinted. Uh, just keep your deck and that's it. And I think seeing master set upon master set upon master set, uh, supplemental products, all that thing, maybe this is just the break point where people just had enough. Like, do I need Noble Hierarchs? Uh, no. Do I need any other cards from this set? Uh, no. Then I'll just pass. Right? Maybe we're at that point where there's no point in hoarding reprintable cards. It doesn't matter that this is a master set. Uh, they'll just reprint these cards in the future. So if I don't need uh, these cards right now, just, just pass on the set. So maybe we've just hit critical mass of that and, and now we're sitting at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely risky to buy expensive modern legal cards these days because of so much reprinting, which, I mean, you got both sides. We could probably spend a whole podcast talking about it. Like, it's nice that it's lowering the barrier of entry, but just in the last few months, really, around Iconic Masters times, I've seen more people starting to say, and these are people that pushed really hard for more reprints, like, uh, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with this level of free, uh, of reprints, so maybe Wizards just went a little bit too far with too many Masters sets, too close together, too much supply being in Walmart and all, and maybe they'll pull back a little bit and hit that sweet spot again, where when we were getting a Modern Masters every two years, they were exciting every time, you had enough expensive cards to keep making really good sets so i don't know i hope wizards maybe with master sets in specific especially with so many different supplemental products these days dials it back just a little bit and uh, gives us a little bit more time before it releases Anyway, I think that brings us to fish mail, Richard. So if you want to get your question answered, make sure to send it to us on Twitter, hashtag it MTG fish mail, and uh, we will get to your questions and give you an answer next podcast. So Richard, why don't you take it away with the yeah, fish this, mail? This is possibly the smallest amount of fish mail we've had <laughs> since episode one or whatever when we started fish mail. Everyone was enjoying their holidays. Not much news came out over the holidays, so not too much fish mail. So... We have three fish mail. First one, AR Martin 84. Uh, considering the new Dominaria marketing shows what appears to be a wing of the Predator uh, in the background, how do you feel about the potential returns of Phyrexian? Also, is it wrong to want an infect sliver? Uh, there is a sort of an infect sliver, virulent sliver, uh, lets slivers deal poison counters, so I think we kind of have it. I think Phyrexians could return, but I hope Phyrexian mana does not return. I think that that has to be one of the biggest design mistakes of the mythic era of magic, I think, was Phyrexian mana. I got you, Seth. Phyrexian energy. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I want to see the return of Phyrexians. I actually want to see some weird alien versus predator stuff where i don't know eldrazi have run rampant or out of control and then the phyrexians come and just indiscriminately kill everything uh which happened to be the eldrazi uh or vice versa i guess but i think 
I think if you only had one set of bad guys in the multiverse, I'd choose Phyrexians over Eldrazi. So I, I kind of hope something like that happens. But I'm sure we'll see more Phyrexians at some point. I don't know if it's going to be on Dominaria. Uh, I think they would... They would probably make that be the start of the story or something. I, I don't think the first set will be focused on Phyrexians. I think the first set will be focused on the plane itself and... Uh, what's been happening since we've been gone because everyone wants to be caught up in the lore uh, as opposed to uh, Battle for Zendikar or something where there's just Phyrexians all over the place and we're just thrust <laughs> into the action from the get-go. Uh, next question. Uh, at Streakus, it feels like Fatal Push affected the price of Tarmogoyf more than multiple reprintings did. Is versatile slash cheap hate cards a solution for modern problems as well as standard at this point? Well, I think as far as I can tell, the Tarmogoyf situation is kind of a combination. Fatal Push is definitely part of it, but getting reprinted again and again and again is also a big part of why the price is lower. But I'm definitely on board with having cheap interactive spells. I think those are healthy for formats. I don't know if... I don't know if I would consider Tarmogoyf a problem. I think that Wizards would have gotten Tarmogoyf to this price point by reprinting it repeatedly anyway. So I don't think Fatal Push was necessary if the price of Tarmogoyf was an issue. But I think that Fatal Push overall has been a positive for Modern. I think that it's been a good thing. So more cards like that are good in my book. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is like anyone... Whoever wanted a Tarmogoyf, like, probably has it by now. We've had so long to pick it up, so many reprintings. So the question is, you know, how many new players are there picking up Goyf decks? And it's probably tapering off because Goyf has been available for, like, a really long time. Uh, next question, Quilted Train. Uh, our good friend Jace Cutting Castaway is under $4. <laughs> How many is too many to pick up in case something in Rivals makes his price spike? I don't know if you can pick up too many. I think the odds of Jace becoming a standard staple are very small. But at $4, I think the odds of Jace getting much cheaper than that are also pretty small. That's kind of seems pretty close to the floor for a three-mana Planeswalker that's standard legal. So it kind of feels like a free roll, I guess, if you're interested in picking up a bunch of them. But I wouldn't have my hopes too high that it actually pays off. But worst case, I expect that you'd be able to sell them off again for around the same price that you got in at. So it seems pretty low risk, even if the odds are long. I don't know. Jay seems like it's like some weird MTG finance bubble. The only people buying Jaces are people expecting to speculate <laughs> on them. So even if you buy like 200 Jaces and you want to sell them back at $4, like who's going to buy them, right? Like if there's no actual demand or you're kind of banking on someone else buying them and hoping they go up. So I think it's actually pretty hard to unload as well. It kind of reminds me of uh, Kibler's, uh, uh, what, what was that flip card? The green flip card? Daybreak Ranger? Like, like, once Ranger, you have yeah. so many of them, like, who's going to buy them from you? Even if you price them cheaply, like, who's going to buy them? So I think that becomes a question I guess... of case. If you, if you buy too many, can you still sell them? Even if the price remains the same. And it might be hard. He actually has to spike. 
And now that I'm actually looking at the numbers, the best buy list price is only a dollar thirty-six. So I guess that makes me a little more, a little more skeptical of buying it at four dollars because that's a pretty weak spread, and it's not like you can just buy list them out for anywhere near four dollars. So uh, maybe on second <laughs> thought, maybe you don't go too too deep on the Jaces. You, you rely on people buying twenty at a time to use as Jace emblem tokens. <laughs> like that, that's what you gotta yeah. do. <laughs> oh, Jace. Uh, is Jace the new Tybalt, Seth? I think... I don't think anything <laughs> is the new Tybalt, but it's close. It's the closest we've seen in a while. I think it's the new Tybalt. I think Tybalt has some, like, use. <laughs> Jace? At least Tybalt. Tybalt is in meme decks, at least. Jace is... I don't know. He's not He's not quite meme status, but he... Oh, he just doesn't do anything. We, we need... We need... Yeah. Phantasmal Bear Tribal. That's what we need. We need a, a pretty good lord <laughs> to pump up Jace. The other thing is, like, what what could even be printed that would all of a sudden make Jace considerably better than it is now? It doesn't... It's not like there. it's the kind of Planeswalker where, like, wow, if only we had this card in the format. It just kind of, like, it is what it is. It does some things. None of those things are that great. So it seems... It seems unlikely to me uh, that a specific card could be printed that would suddenly make Jay shoot up from where it is now to being a standard staple. Because I don't know if that card exists. I don't know if that is a potential thing that could even happen. All right, all right. right. Uh, Jace, Guardian. (laughs) Whenever you sacrifice a creature... No, no, wait. Target creature gets minus one, (laughs) minus zero. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, create two copies of that creature. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, that could maybe well, that would yeah, work. This is like Sahili, right? Sahili did kind of nothing until they just literally printed the one card to combo off with her. I, I'm sure you can do something with Phantasmal Bears uh, to to combo off Jace, but I think you're right. It's highly unlikely that such a card would be printed, especially since they know how Sahili went. Right? They're not going to print a, a two card combo for standard. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we avoid that. <laughs> all right, that's all our fish fail for this week. So thank you for everyone for sending them in. Uh, if you have questions in the future, send them to the hashtag MDGFishMail uh, on Twitter at MTGGoldfish. Oh, well, I think. Is there anything else we got on the way out the door this uh, week, Richard? Or is this uh, all we got? Uh, that's everything. We copy, uh, We got Dominaria and all the spoilers. That's pretty much all the news from over the holidays. Uh, so one last thing on the way out the door. Rivals of Ixalan, rest of the week, we'll have full spoilers by the time we do our next cast at the end of the week. Is there any one thing you're hoping for over the rest of this week? Is there something your fingers are crossed for saying, please, please give us this? Tempo cards. I think a Vapor Snag or a Mana Leak, like maybe fixed Mana Leak, maybe like two mana, uh, that would actually push Merfolk over the top. I think you need some spells to make Merfolk work as opposed to just being... Because basically it's like a Stompy deck right now. Uh, I think you need to push it into tempo a bit to give it an actual unique edge and, you know, be a reason why you play it over Ramune Upred. Nice Hazaret, Vapor Snag, kill you, right? Something like that. Ah, that's a good one. I think I'm still holding out hope for something targeted specifically at energy that's a little bit faster, a little bit more competitive than Solemnity. So that's what I'm hoping, is that we see a couple of cards that are just targeted energy hate, and maybe that takes care of the energy problem, and we can stop talking about it and play all these sweet tribal cards, so... Anyway, I think that wraps up episode 153 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Everyone, thank you for listening. And this is the MTG Goldfish podcast crew signing out. See you next week.